Hi everyone and welcome back to The Advice Show. I'm Zach, a reporter at New Model Advisor. I'm joined by Senior Reporter Victoria Bell and CNO Manager of SJP Academy, G-Footed. Today we're talking about academies and how we can train up younger financial advisors. Hi G, how are you? Very well, thank you. Glad to be here. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, our first question, very put very simply, is why do we have this problem of the age of financial advisors in this country and how can we address it? I think it's a really good question and one that we all need to address, um, not just individual companies or organisations, although we are doing our very best to address it. Um, but I think we saw a huge decline in financial advisors back in 2012 with the Retail Distribution Review. And the average age of advisors has been quite steady. Um, the, the number of advisors in the profession has also been quite steady since then. So the average age in the profession is 57. Um, so I think SJP saw that as a challenge for our, our own advice community and our own clients a decade ago when we started the academy. And having run the academy for 10 years, we've brought the average age of our advice community down to 46. And the average age of joiners in the academy is 35. But that is still targeting second careerists ultimately. So um, I think you're right. I think it's a challenge that we all need to look at. Yeah. Um, how do you go about, you know, when you are sort of doing a drive of getting kind of financial advisors into the academy, what do you actually, what do you actually do? Who, how do you target these, um, as you say, second careerists? It's, it's an interesting question and it's, it's probably morphed and changed over the last five years since I joined St. James's Place. And historically we had a large number of referrals from our own community. If you imagine our, you know, our partnership is over 4,700 people now. And we all know people that would make great financial advisors. And then over recent years, I think the marketing team and division has been really good at what it does and, and forged relationships with groups of people that are actively looking for a career change. Mm -hmm. But it could be anybody really of working age that might make a great financial advisor. So at times that can make marketing strategies quite difficult because you want to really speak to your target audience <laughs> so that they see and hear themselves. Um, but when it's such a broad spectrum of people, that can be quite challenging. So to date, we've focused on people who are already actively looking for a career change for one reason or another. Mm. So that might be professional sports people. And sometimes when you're thinking, well, sport versus financial advice, there's not an obvious link there. But actually, sports people have a lot of really great traits that are really valuable in business. They're very dedicated. They're motivated. They're goal driven. Um, they're very resilient as well. So actually, they make really good um, financial advisors. They're also very well connected. If you think about a rugby team, for example, that team is quite a, a large number of people and all their extended families and friends. So they actually come along quite well connected with a network. So you would get these, say, for example, candidates who are coming through the academy. Um, you mentioned to me that you, you get them to kind of speak to their network and sort of ask, do you have a financial advisor? Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, so as I say, sports one of the examples that we the sort of areas of that we talk to people in. Another example might be military or women returners, just to give you a few more. Mm. Um, but yes, so when we when we speak to people about potentially becoming a financial advisor at SJP, there are opportunities to come and start your own advice business or an opportunity to join one of our existing practices because all of our practices are, are growing and some of them reach that criti critical mass where they've got too many clients for one person, they need more advisors. And some of our practices got multi-advisors within them. So there's lots of different types of opportunities. So depending on the route that that person's taking, if they're starting their own business, they do really need to source their own clients. Mm. So we make that really transparent and from the outset help them 
to do a bit of market research for themselves, really, and give themselves either confidence that this is something they can do, or alternatively, this isn't right for me, and actually, I'll, I'll walk away before I walk through the door. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's it, it works both ways. It gives the right people the confidence that they can achieve it, and the wrong people the right answer. Um, I know you said that you have ma- uh, sorry um, SJP have managed to get the average age down to forty six. What about other demographics and people from different backgrounds? I mean, have you seen a change in the last 10 years? I know you've only been in your role for five years. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's an interesting one. So I don't have too many um, data points to share with you um, other than gender. Mm. So on gender, we've averaged 26% female graduation since inception. Mm. And that's against an industry average of, I think it's about 16, 17% female. Um, and SJP is about 19% uh, because of that continuous trickle of extra uh, female representation coming through from the academy Mm -hmm. and of course people retiring probably will be predominantly Mm -hmm. men uh, if you like so but it takes a long time to see that real shift in the needle in terms of gender balance and then with all the other types of diverse backgrounds we do everything that we can to be um, attractive to diverse audiences and to be present there to just provide them with this as an opportunity and ultimately, SJP wants its advice talent pool to represent its clients, which is the UK population. Mm. So there needs to be a, a focus on trying to replicate what that looks like. Of course, because you feel more, I mean, you want your financial advisor to look like you, don't you? Exactly. I think you've got, if you if you find somebody that you know has shared certain life experiences that you are going through, I think mm-hmm. that puts you at ease. Yeah. Ultimately, that's uh, like you said, that uh, you use that industry average benchmark. So it's an industry-wide problem, really, that there aren't enough uh, women and people of diverse backgrounds in advice generally. Um, do you think that problem sort of starts to be solved at academy level or also from the top down? Of course, we see a C-suite level. Um, the number of female CEOs is startlingly low. Yeah, I agree. I think it should be approached both uh, both ends of the spectrum so you've got the employed population of companies like SJP or SJP itself um, and so SJP has its own targets for meeting and we just met 30% in September this year female senior leadership representation Um, so that was a real positive but it's not an easy task I think it's a bit like the advice profession Mm -hmm. there needs to be that talent pipeline coming through um, for them to achieve that you can't just promote somebody just because there is an agenda, so of course. Um, so yeah, it takes time, but and effort, but that's something that we're definitely working on. And of course, that's uh, partially linked as well to advice industry, the advice industry's reputation problem, um, yeah. because of course you see, like you said, Vicky, you see people that look like you, and mm. then it broadens reputation, and then it sort of becomes a problem in itself. Yeah. Um, what is it about the profession that I mean, it's quite an attractive to me looking at it I think you know it's, it's quite flexible it's quite well paid why why is there such a dearth of financial advisors young people women and people from different backgrounds what's the problem there I think it's a bit of a hangover from the past and actually uh, in the summer this year we hosted some work experience both in person and virtually um, at SJP and in my division and I actually use that as a, a great opportunity to do some research because I've just finished an MBA and so I asked them, I asked them the question, um, if you if you were to imagine what a financial advisor looks like, describe them to us. Um, and most of them, you know, used words similar to middle-aged men wearing suits, ultimately. And 
I think it's just sort of like, maybe it's not just advice. Maybe it's that whole financial advice, banking advice. Maybe they can't decouple them. Yeah. But actually, for me, it's it's a profession that's really well suited to women and people from all different types of backgrounds. For me, it's much more a relationship role than it is a financial, you know, a numbers crunching numbers role. And I think the more we get that message out, the more attractive it becomes to all different types of people. Mm. And the other thing that's brilliant about it, which has sort of been pioneered since SJP's partnership model began 30 plus years ago, is you run your own business. Therefore, it's it's flexible around mm. what's important to you. And yes, it's a full-time commitment, but it can be flexible around a school drop-off, for example. Mm. So I think the, the more we get those messages out there, the more attractive it becomes to people who might not ordinarily see it as something for them. Mm. Um, talk to me about the business side. On the website, it mentions that there is a lot of, um, I think, a few billions of pounds of untapped wealth. It is. Well, it's billions and trillions, actually. Okay. So once you get into those types of numbers, you, you know, the, the zeros keep going, don't they? Um, but there are 13 million people in the UK that fall into what we describe as a mass affluent population. And those people are described as people having between £50,000 and £5 million worth of investable assets. So investable assets doesn't include your your house that you live in, doesn't include any final salary pension schemes. So this is advisable wealth. Um, and if you look at collectively what that is worth, in 2022, it's worth £2.6 trillion. Um, so there is a huge opportunity and a need for more financial advisors. And I think personal um, circumstances, tax and pension simplifications, Simplification sounds like an easy word, but actually, or freedoms, it means that you need more advice to achieve what you want to achieve because there's more options for you. Mm. So we believe that there's a need for at least 50,000 more financial advisors in the UK, which SJP certainly can't fill on their own. Mm. Um, so you've seen the birth of lots of different programmes coming up in the last few years. Do you, do you think it's, it's a really interesting point. Do you think it's on sort of larger firms like SJP to have the responsibility to bring those people through? Um, of course, you know, it's a fragmented industry and uh, uh, we cater for a lot of sort of smaller IFAs as well, who often read our articles and listen to our podcasts about getting new people through. And a lot of their feedback is we just don't have the resource. Do you think it's on larger firms like SJP? Well, I guess SJP initially when it launched the Academy, it was thinking of its own growth and it's thinking of its own um, clients, to be honest, because we wanted to make sure there was that succession planning in place when when partners retire the client's family's assets still need looking after. And actually most households or families, there's lots of intergenerational advice happening. So when one advisor retires, we need to pass that safely into the hands of somebody a bit younger who can deal with that family ongoing. So that was the reason behind the academy. But then just through sort of numbers and scale, SJP's growth target this year was is 3% net in advisors. And actually that means hundreds of people that we've got to train because we've got to replace the people that are retiring as well. And if I think of the resources that we have as a business, 44 recruitment managers, you know, hundreds of people looking after those people in training, it is a huge resource. It's something that the SJP has been committed to for over 10 years. But I can imagine that if you're a small firm, it's difficult. Um, maybe they're giving advice themselves still and suddenly they need to become a trainer and a tutor and a mentor and everything else. So it, it's not an easy um, challenge. But I think SJP, in terms of providing it for the rest of the profession, and that's that's a difficult challenge, but its own growth uh, trajectory, 3% when you're talking at 4,700 people is actually a really big number. Mm. What about the education that you get? You know, we see 
Quilter has just opened um, or expanded into an academy. We had MNG a couple of a couple of years ago. Uh, obviously, SJP has been around uh, for ten years. I mean, what's the difference in education? You know, some uh, some advisors say that going through that the academies at SJP Quilter, you might get a narrower education. What what would you say to that? Um, well, I think the exams that you have to have in order to be a financial advisor mm. are set as an industry and there are three different exam bodies that you might be able to get those qualifications through. So I think no matter what academy you join, they're getting you through industry standard exams. Mm. Um, then what happens after you're qualified, of course, there's going to be um, a, a lean towards this is how we do things at whatever company you might be with. And I know at SJP, there's three months to get through the qualifications and then three months skills and proposition training before they're allowed out to see clients. So that's really detailed. Mm. Um, and a lot of the training also includes commercial thinking. It isn't just about these are the products you can sell. This is this is what you need to say in a meeting. It's very much helping them to build a sustainable business. Just leading off from that. Um, so we talked about the sort of narrower education that may be going through um, Quilter, SJP, um, M&G. Uh, that you might get, and that's what advisors are saying. Then certain advisors have also said that, well, okay, these providers will train them up and then they might leave and go to independent firms that might not have had the resources to train them up themselves. I mean, what does, how do you kind of manage that risk of people being trained up at SJP and then leaving? It's a difficult risk to manage, and I think it's one that we've always been aware of, um, and I think it's probably becoming more more prevalent now. But at, at the same time, there are other academies and, and other companies you know, actively growing as much as we are. So I think there will always be movement. Um, the way that we've always thought about it, there, there's no tie-ins to our academy program. So if you come through our training, you know, there's no contract that says you have to stay X number of years. Mm. And... The way we look at it is we believe in our proposition and we believe in the level of support that somebody re receives. Mm. Um, and before they even join us, we would always encourage them to do their own research and their own due diligence about what else is out there and make sure from the outset they're selecting what they perceive to be the right place for them yeah. uh, with as much information as they can personally gather. Um, so yeah, for us, it's all about proposition, level of support that they receive, we don't believe that it's mirrored 100% elsewhere. Of course, it's going to be similar, mm. but it's very much go out there, find out exactly, we'll tell you very transparently exactly what we do, how we support you. Mm. If you want to go and ask those questions of other people, please do. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and uh, SJP has always, um, as you sort of alluded to, always invested in its academy, but we live in really uncertain times. Um, I mean, you know, we've got the new consumer duty coming in. Uh, we saw the latest SJP news about that uh, removal of exit fees for new business. Will that level of investment in the academy remain the same, regardless of business model changes? Probably not an answer for me to give you at this point. I don't know is the answer to that. But as far as I'm aware, there's no plans to change. Um, I don't know what the growth target is for next year just yet, but we'll, mm. we'll soon find out. So what's, what's the plan then for uh, the next, say, five years for the academy? Do you plan to get hundreds more in um you know how, how many can you actually take into the academy yeah that's a really good question so over covid obviously we relaunched um and had the opportunity to really benefit from the use of technology and that brought down barriers to people joining so 
Historically, there were four locations you had to physically go to for your training. Now it's a very much virtual academy, particularly for the exam training. There's a little bit more um, in-person training during term two in the skills. Um, but it just means people can join from wherever they are in the country. And during that process and in the last couple of years, we've now got capacity to train up to 500 people per year. Um, but I think you asked me the question, why haven't you trained 500 people there? Yeah. Well, actually, we're training the number of people to meet our own growth yeah. targets. Yeah. Um, so we've 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 got the resources now to train up to 500 people per year. So I guess over the next five years, we might get to the point where we are training 500 people per year and we're ready for that. Mm. So that gives us confidence in our own sort of growth uh, in the in the next few years. And sorry, just coming back to um, sort of my early question a bit on um, on the responsibility of, of larger firms versus smaller firms. Um, how do you recommend that the smaller firms train up uh, young advisors? Of course, your answer might be go to the SJP Academy. Um, <laughs> but of course, but how how would you say that as SJP that smaller firms should be training up and recruiting younger talent? It's really difficult. When I did my level four qualification, I was working and I was self-studying. This is many years ago. I sort of switched across to the new ROs um, and finished my level four diploma back in 2012. I didn't have things such as Redmill or any sort of, you know, snazzy training facilities with video functionality or whatever. I had to read the book and write my own, you know, little cards, as I remember, as how I used to revise. So I think people studying now that, you know, there is access to training facilities and modules and, and a much more diverse way of, of learning because people have learning differences. Um, so I think that's a real positive. But for a small firm, I think it is difficult. I think you just probably want to sponsor somebody through the exams. I mean, to get to level four, it probably cost of somebody ordering the study material and entering the exams just over a thousand pounds for all six if you're studying through the CII. So there's a cost there. But then once they've got the qualification, I don't think that that they're ready to go and give advice. Mm -hmm. So as I say, we've got three months of, of full-time training that we put people through before we trust them in front of clients with you know the SJP brand attached to them. So I think it is difficult for, for smaller firms. But one of the things that we've noticed really does make a difference, so we've formally built it into the program, is having time with an advisor and shadowing them in their client meetings because I think it makes a lot of sense. So yes, there's the textbook, then there's sort of practice and role play. We've got VR headsets for people to practice client scenarios. Then you sort of swap seats so you see what that feels like from a client perspective so you can maybe tweak how you ask your questions. Once you've exhausted that, you then physically do a role play in front of somebody as uncomfortable as those are yeah. before you're ready to then go and, and sit in front of a client. And I think on top of all of that, actually physically being in a client meeting with a, a financial advisor, it just gives you some word patterns to use. It helps you understand reading what a person might be thinking mm. and how the advisor dealt with the situation. So I think if I was a smaller firm, I'd certainly have somebody maybe working in my business and in a supporting role and shadowing as many of my advisors as, as possible uh, to increase their knowledge. Um, and then I guess it's their own compliance division that says, the dots the eyes across the season say, says, yes, they're ready. Tease. You're actually qualified to give advice, aren't you? Yeah. Why didn't you go into advice? That's a really <laughs> good question. Um, at the time, well, so my own personal story is a little bit varied. I think at that point, I um, I was actually working in a bank, so I didn't have an opportunity directly in front of me to give advice, but I had worked in wealth management before. And when those new exams came in, I was, I guess, to that new level, I was partially qualified. So I thought, well, I'm just going to finish the full qualification because that provides me with options in the future. Um, 
I then went through an entrepreneurial phase where I started my own business and I was doing juice cleanses, so completely separate, anything to do with finance, um, and continued to work at the bank. So that was kind of a dual role for a while. Oh. Yeah, and then I had a family uh, and actually I joined SJP when she was one years old. So um, so yeah, I, I, what's the answer to that question? I'm actually married to a, a financial advisor. He wasn't a financial advisor when I met him. So Did I trained him up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually come through SJP. So <laughs> Where it's, did he go? it's in the family. Um, so he works for a company called Helm Godfrey, and he actually did his exams through Quilter IFA School. So we've seen the role of um, groups like Next Gen Planners um, in trying to train up, well, get more people into advice, but also improve the image of advice and get more diverse people into advice. Um, do you think, how helpful do you think sort of external groups and parties like that are? in terms of helping um, helping with this problem? Really important. And I love what they're doing. You know, they're, they're sort of targeting a, a younger demographic, going out to schools, universities, um, career fairs, um, et cetera. And I think it's important that we are there as a profession because there are lots of other different types of opportunities presented. And again, like when we had our work experience people through, so what, what things have your family spoken to you about? What things have your school or university spoken to you about? Has financial advice ever been raised? And mm. more often than not, the answer to that question is is no. Mm. Um, so I think it's really important that we all um, are banging that drum from an early age. And I know one of the things SJP re is really passionate about is financial education. So going into schools, going to universities, and, and then sort of, you know, at the end, talking about the profession, talking about their role maybe, mm. not as a hard sell, but as a, this could be a really good option for you. And the more women that go into schools and do that, the more younger women will, will think of it as an option for themselves. Yeah. When you talk about going to universities, what's the feedback that you get, back, get from students? Do they seem excited about a career in financial advice or do they maybe, I mean, someone said to me that they more veer towards accountants, lawyers. I mean, that kind of, that's a more, you know, perceived as a more attractive career. How do you change that? Yeah, it's a very traditional route, isn't it? So I think those professions have, have invested a lot of time, energy and money in making sure they are at the front of those students' minds. And I think financial rights, people think of accountancy, which is very maybe number crunchy, mm. um, and then financial advice, they sort of bracket it into the same thing. Mm. And actually, as I said before, I think financial advice is much more of a human, a people you know, communication role as opposed to, yes, of course, you need the qualifications, you need to be able to give them the advice. But talking to people, understanding what their future goals are, what challenges they have right now is a very relationship-driven role. So I think we need to be a bit more vocal about that. Um, the other thing I think that is a challenge is earnings potential. I think financial advisors kind of they don't have any glass ceilings. Mm. The harder they work, the more they can earn. Mm. So I, I think that's a bit of a, a misnomer maybe that, that the freedom to earn more, you know, to build a business, mm. there's, there's no cap on what you can do. So the businesses within SJP that have 50 advisors in all started with one person. And it's just somebody's vision to to grow it to what it is today. Would you say there, there's still a trust issue among people and financial advisors? Do people have have an issue with that I hope I hope not um and interestingly I had an incident last week with um with a you know trade plum plumbing plumber came to my house the way that I was treated was absolutely awful and I was so grateful for what I do 
for a living afterwards because I thought, wow, I work in such a, an amazing profession where the standards are so high and they treat mm. people with respect. And, and actually in financial advice, repeat customer referrals is the lifeblood of everything that they do. Mm. And so actually, if there is still that in the industry, I'd be, I'd be disappointed. As well as kind of, you know, our advertising to people who want to get into financial advice, do just people like me or Zach, need to be told you need to get a financial advisor or, you know, we need to be more aware of this. I mean, a lot of people, none of my friends have financial advisors. I mean, do you see this changing? I hope so. I, I feel like there aren't enough of, uh, of them because that's half of the problem. So if 50,000 more financial advisors are needed, then mm. I think finding the right financial advisor can be tricky. Mm. Um, and also, we both work in the City of London. We both work in, in finance, all three of us do. So our friendship group might have a similar you know, career path. Mm. And actually, when you do work for a corporate, you know, a lot of your financial, you, know, you, pe- you have a company pension, for example, some of those things are taken care of for you. So you feel like, yeah, okay, things are, are okay. I've got certain things in place. But I think people who are self-employed absolutely should should think about it. So if you do have any friends self-employed, you know, I'm always sort of banging the drum. And I think once you are a financial advisor and you know the benefits you can bring to people, you genuinely come from a position of wanting to help that person and their extended family. Mm. Those conversations are really interesting. Mm. Probably the most interesting conversations those people will have is just finding the right time to approach it because I think people can feel a little bit cautious around talking about money and, mm. and maybe cautious about their own knowledge level about money mm. so um, so again going back to that this is a people role finding the right time <laughs> to broach the conversation is important you've been listening to the advice show with myself and senior reporter victoria bell today we were joined by sjp academy senior manager g footit for any questions please feel free to tweet us at new model advisor or email us at nma team at thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week 